Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the first episode of... Podcast like it's 1999, where we look back at the movies of 1999 from our purchase here in 2017. My name is Kenny Nybart. Across from me is Phil Liscove. We are both television writers. Indeed. Um, who have never written movies. But this <laughs> podcast is exclusively about... The, well, not exclusively. We'll see what happens as we move on. But this this podcast is about the movies of 1999, yep. which was just an unbelievable year of film. A year we've both been fascinated by probably since 1999, or maybe even before that, because this was even a big year at the time. It was. Um, things were they, changing. What's that? Things, things were changing. Things the millennium was, uh, was about to... We thought the world was ending. We thought the world was going to end. So they made all the great movies in 99, and that's yeah. proven by all the terrible movies that came out in 2000 and, and 2001. 98. 98, uh, that 98 wasn't a great That doesn't really yeah. help the point, but... You know what uh, but just uh, just there were incredible movies from incredible directors. I mean, yeah, the list is pretty uh, significant. David Fincher, David O. Russell, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, Alexander Payne, Michael Mann, Stanley Kubrick, David Lynch, Spike Lee, the Wachowski brothers, uh, or Wachowski Starship, or whatever they're being called now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spike Jones, uh, to name a couple. Um, and you can notice it's kind of an interesting inflection point too it between is. all the great filmmakers of like the 70s and 80s yeah. a lot of them had a film this year and a lot of filmmakers who kind of got their start here yeah um in 1999 or made their second film and kind of broke through yeah there were great comedies this year there were some yeah. really interesting animated films not your typical a lot just of really one, cool stuff one pixar film yeah, yeah. there were some horrible television remakes like <laughs> dudley do right yeah mod yeah. squad yeah and our intention in this podcast is to cover every significant release that year yeah we're gonna we're gonna cover them all from uh from the good to the bad and there were 200 plus 
Yeah, 277 or some random number like that. Yeah, we're going to cover them all. And uh, we will see you up until 2022. We will we will be doing Chill Factor, so you don't have to worry. That, we're that's, doing that's, it next week. <laughs> chill, we're not doing it next week, but we're going to do it. It's coming down the pike. Uh, it was just it was just a really great year, and we've talked about this year for for a while, and we just decided, fuck it, we're going to do a podcast about it. Yeah, so for people who are in their 30s right now, 99 represented like the apex of cinema before TV really took over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was before reality TV. Survivor would premiere the next year, mm-hmm. uh, before TMZ, before Twitter, of course, but really after the internet. And actually, a lot of these movies yeah. were, were, be- to, were, were kind of held up or benefited from the internet yeah. at that point. Um, yeah. It's after the Clinton scandal, it's after OJ, it's after Howard Stern. Um, but it's this weird, weird time right before the internet took over everything. Yeah. And it, I mean, as we mentioned, it's, it's, you know, we all thought like the world was going to end. It was Y2K. We weren't sure what was coming and, and it just felt like the, a page being turned, not just in the fact that obviously, you know, the year 2000, but also just film seemed to change. And there have been books written about this year. There have been all sorts of stuff written about how developmentally everything just sort of from an industry perspective kind of just all hit in this year in a weird way and in a cool way, uh, which we look, which we're going to sort of examine and expound upon and hopefully be uh, articulate as we do so. Um, so there were a lot of movies we thought about starting this podcast with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had many choices. Um, 277? 277 of them. Mm-hmm. Chill Factor being one of them. Yes. <laughs> um, and we we really kind of, Kenny and I went back and forth as to what film we should do. Uh, and I, I feel like the movie we picked is a big movie that came out in 99. It was a movie that had been talked about for years up until this point, uh, a, a prolonged development period, something probably in the excess of 30 years. Uh, it was a very – That's ve- true. It is a very interesting movie uh, with a lot of expectations attached to it with two of maybe the biggest stars at the time and maybe even still. Mm-hmm. Uh, by One of them is definitely, def- definitely bigger today. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, by a notoriously reclusive filmmaker and we decided that Eyes Wide Shut was – the sort of best way into 99. Uh, there's a lot of themes that we'll, we'll talk about that sort mm-hmm. of are very pervasive throughout a lot of the movies that came out in 99. Um, and it just felt like the right place to start. It felt like the right movie to start with for us. And uh, so uh, get ready to podcast like it's 1999 because we're going to dive into uh, Eyes Wide Shut. After a word from our sponsors. After a word from, and yeah. we don't have any sponsors. Uh, so I guess I just... I want to start from a place of Stanley Kubrick. Me too. I think that... Let's dive in. Let's just dive in. Uh, I was a latecomer to Stanley Kubrick. So in 1999... What did you know about Stanley Kubrick? What did you What did you seen? Well, this is the thing. I was a, I was a Spielberg kid, mm-hmm. so I, I grew up on, and as a lot of a lot of us were, but I grew up on very accessible, warm movies for the most part, and I never got. Kubrick. Uh, I worked at video stores for many years up until going to film school and, and during film school. And I'd have many customers come in and talk about Clockwork Orange, 2001, whatever it is. And I just never got it. He just felt incredibly cerebral, incredibly cold. And I just could never connect with his movies. Mm-hmm. And then I went to film school and I became friends with people that were really big fans of Kubrick. And I felt like, okay, I'm clearly missing something. I need to go back. And then I really got into him. But I started film school in in the fall of 1998. So the first Kubrick film to come out 
you know, during my ascension into, you know, liking Kubrick mm-hmm. was Eyes Wide Shut. Well, and it's the first and only. I mean, it is the first and only. But I, I mean, in the sense that it was in theaters, it was coming out, there was so much talk about this movie. And thusly, I'm going to say, I'm going to hot take whatever. Eyes Wide Shut is my favorite Stanley Kubrick film. It still is to this day. I still, and I love his movies. I think he's a tremendously talented filmmaker. Uh, but I think this movie, either it's because it connected with me, when it connected with me, I don't know. But this film just feels, it's just my favorite. So, I know, I, I, in 1999, yeah. when you saw this movie. Yes. Three times in the theater? So, it, all right. So, you, you were in from, I was you in. Were in from the, the moment you I saw it. I was in, yeah. My experience is different. <laughs> My, <laughs> my my experience sure. is different. I'm I am proudly two mm-hmm. years younger than Phil, and uh, <laughs> Jesus. and I was so unnecessary. I, so that makes me a seven. That puts me at seventeen at the time, which means yes. I could see our movies. Very exciting, right? Perfect right, right. for this. Um, yes, sure. My uh, my experience with Kubrick was, I'd say, uh, mm-hmm. around ninety seven or ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Well. Maybe a little bit earlier, maybe 96, maybe, uh, you know, when Fargo came out was when it really, um, was when I really started loving movies. Oh, okay, sure. Um, I'd say, yeah, I'd say Fargo was probably the first movie that I saw in the theaters that, that made me think about movies in a different way. Interesting. That wasn't just, um, I think I had a similar, it was a similar movie for me too. It wasn't just it was a fulcrum point for me. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And then, and then there were, you know, the great movies from 1990, 1994. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there were some really great yeah, independent movies made in the nineties that, uh, that threw me into movies. I was sure. not a Spielberg kid. Not to say I didn't like Spielberg sure. movies, but those were not the movies that made me fall in love with movies. It was, okay. with the Coen brothers movies and it was Boogie Nights and it was Pulp Fiction. Um, it was Pulp Fiction sure. and it was, um, a lot of those kind of movies. Which made me uh-huh. the kind of person who thought Stanley Kubrick was the coolest guy in the world. Sure. So, uh, I mean, everyone the, speaks of him in like the nineties. Yeah, the and every yeah. when 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 you find your your like minded people in high school, mm-hmm. the ones who have older brothers or yeah. interesting parents sure. have already turned them on to Stanley Kubrick, and you go and watch these somewhat forbidden movies. Clockwork Orange was a somewhat sure. forbidden movie, and Full Metal Jacket was a somewhat forbidden movie, and. Even to some extent, Doctor Strangelove. Even though I remember watching that in film class, like Doctor Strangelove is a very subversive movie. It is, um, and a lot of them. I mean, you know, I remember watching almost every Stanley Kubrick movie I, I, I've seen, and uh, and you know, to varying degrees, they they varying degrees they they spoke to me or they didn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, like you, the first time I ever watched a Stanley Kubrick movie mm-hmm. in theaters was Eyes Wide Shut, and I saw it as a camp counselor on a day off. With four of my friends, really? none of whom were Stanley, to, none of whom were were Kubrick fans. Well, cinephiles, I would say. And uh, so they were. I remember, the... but I remember sitting there being like, "This is going to be a life changing experience for me. I'm about wow. to watch a Stanley Kubrick movie in a theater." See? Okay, it didn't work for me in the moment. Um, it does feel like that was maybe not the best way to see that movie. Um, I would also. Well, this, Sorry, just what, the, old, the other two movies we saw that mm-hmm. summer on Days Off yeah. <laughs> were American Pie, which worked a little better, but we'll talk about that at another point, and mm-hmm. South Park, which worked incredibly well. Sure, that's yeah, sure that's um, going to play like Gangbusters. Very, 1999 movie. We're very excited, we're very excited to, 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 to go one. back to that. One, yeah. Just bash the shit out of Canada. Um, I'm Canadian, by the way, to uh, <laughs> the listeners that 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, he will be defending the uh, America's little brother to the north. <laughs> so we, so I saw that. So I saw mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut that summer, and I, I, I don't, I don't think I got it, and I don't know how any night. 17 well, can year old I, I can get it so maybe you can enlighten me on how a 17 year old well i was 19 e- so or a 19 year old how a, how a 19 year old could even understand this movie because only now yeah as a 35 year old yeah uh who's been in relationships and i've you know yeah. married for seven years at this point right can i really understand just how fucking brutal this movie is and i mean that in the best possible no way. no absolutely yeah. and, and I, I mean first and foremost it should be said that um 19 year old me did not really fully comprehend this movie and i would even venture to say that today i'm not entirely convinced that i get everything that's going on in this movie i think that the reason that this film i i I, tom cruise and nicole kidman are an access point for this movie i think that they were huge movie stars that you felt sort of safe with do you know what i mean mm-hmm. as, a, as a movie goer you're sitting there and you're like okay i know these two people i've seen them in many movies so i feel comfortable watching a decidedly uncomfortable movie and i think that having them as that entry point was intentional i mean kubrick we'll talk no about we'll yeah. talk about the casting we'll talk about all that sort of stuff but it it is a fascinating film to watch him deconstruct tom cruise in front of us well their marriage and, too. and their marriage yeah so i think for me first of all i was 19 years old i was 19 years old i was in my first year of film school i believe maybe second year and i was just like this is fucking stanley kubrick's new movie it's a masterpiece it's it's this thing that everyone's talking about and i think i was just really taken with and continue to be taken with how funny this movie is i actually think this movie is surprisingly funny i think it's a very very dark comedy i can tell by the look on kenny's face that he does not agree with me well i didn't laugh um (laughs) i I laugh all all the way through this movie i think there's all sorts of shit that i think is really funny you know i didn't laugh at all uh and i don't so bizarre well I, I mean, we'll talk about we, like the, we the def- big, big joke, quote unquote, moments in this movie. But in terms of why it worked for me in 99, I think one of the big reasons was in a fucked up way, this was Stanley Kubrick's popcorn movie. We can talk about that, too. Um, <laughs> but that which is, you know, which is fair. But that that's 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 kind of so far over to the left of of what gets me in this movie and it's really that first scene after the party oh the the bedroom scene the bedroom scene the arguably the best scene of 1999 i will never i i I did not recover from that scene throughout the course of the entire movie and i mean that in the best possible way again i did not recover from that scene (laughs) and there's you know what i i don't necessarily mean to jump through it but but the movie starts well, we shouldn't do this first. We got we got to give a little more context before we go into the movie. I think. Well, I want to ask the question that Stanley Kubrick asked okay. about this movie. Then, then do it. Go for um, it. Which is on. which is essentially, uh, is there a difference between dreaming of yeah. adultery and committing the actual act? Sure. And I read that quote that Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that query, I guess, and mm-hmm. I said, "Well, fuck yes, there's a difference, of course." But this ar- movie argues Emotionally. very decidedly yeah, yeah. that there is no difference, and very persuasively that yeah. there's no difference. Yeah. That and 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 <laughs> that's what gets me in this movie because this, this to me this movie is 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 at its core about jealousy. 
Yeah. And uh, how you can never escape it. Fantasy. How it never never goes away. Yeah. Um, and how it can drive you mad. You know, I always think it's 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 weird because because you know there's one of my favorite songs ever, Suspicious Minds, and that's what Suspicious Minds is about. Suspicious Minds is about moving yeah. on from that point in a relationship <clears throat> where you're always obsessed with the idea that some that they're interested in someone else. You never can, I guess. Um, I mean, I think this movie is about a lot of things. That is definitely one of the, the mm-hmm. things that I do think it's about. I think that it's also, I mean, I think it's, I mean, the movie's fascinating on a, lot of, on a lot of levels. But I think that for me, I like that the film is sort of that nothing in the film should be taken literally. I feel mm-hmm. as though it's all a dream. It's all pure fantasy. It's this idea of sex without repercussions or the repercussions of even dreaming about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a really great quote um, talking about that uh, while technology may change how people flirt or fuck extramaritally, it doesn't change the what or the why. Now, if you take like the Ashley Madison leak, for instance, which quickly deflated into triviality as the hack details suggest only a small percentage of those signed up for the service to actually flirt or fuck, it's the majority of users were just curious as to what was inside. Mm-hmm. And that idea of just like Dr. Bill, what was inside is not nearly as powerful as what's inside the fantasy holder's mind. And I think that that's part of what you're sort of talking about, this idea of what his wife lusted for and him trying to deconstruct that and try to figure out why she did what she did to some extent or thought about what she did and him trying to find that for himself is drives him mad, basically. Cool. It, it takes him, I mean... But, it, but it's more than that. It's a step beyond. It's a step beyond just lusting. Yeah, she would have done. She would have dropped everything. Well, she says I was scared. He, I don't know if I was more scared that he would be gone or that he would still be there in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's because it's a scary thing. But yeah. the, but but the thing that I would have heard yeah. if I were Doctor Bill was <laughs> sure I would have given it all up for one night. Yeah, um, it's a, it that line first of all. When she says, I would have given up everything, my whole fucking future, everything. Mm-hmm. And yet it was weird because you were dearer to me than ever. That's so pathetic. I mean, she, it, that, I, I remember that line. What would she say? My love for you was both tender and sad. sad. <laughs> See, it's, it's good shit, though. I mean, oh, it's, it's the it's, fucking best. It's the best. It's the no, best. that's what I mean. It's the fucking best. And then, <laughs> and then I don't even want to. I don't want to. I don't want to blow it all out of the water right now and go, yeah. go into all the great stuff because we kind of can't help ourselves. This is about Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's real marriage. I know. Like that's know. the thing that's so fucking like you, the other the other <laughs> the other prevailing thought in my head yeah. watching this movie is of course they got divorced after this. Of course, of course, you can't yeah. say these things yeah. to, to each other. And I mean, did you? That's read? the stuff on on camera too. I mean, the the mind fuckery. That Stanley Kubrick put these two yeah. through, I mean, is incredible. The fact that he spent like five hours doing this, the the sailor sex scene with her, the black and white footage that Tom Cruise can't get out of his head. And wouldn't let Tom and Cruise wouldn't in let room. Tom Cruise in the break. room, wouldn't let him know what happened. Like, it's just, it's just, he twists the knife in these people for over 400 days. 400 days. And they, they lived in it's that room. I know. It was their clothes on the ground. It's the best. It was Tom Cruise's change yeah. on the side. Table. They it's, picked it's the out best. the drapes. Like I this was their lives. Now there's another point about Stanley Kubrick before we get into the nuts and bolts of this show. Yeah, of this episode. Of this episode because um, I think it's somewhat relevant to what's going on in Hollywood right now. Yeah. 
I think that there is a argument to be made, and I'm not making this argument, but I'm just putting it out there, yeah. that what Stanley Kubrick did to Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman was abusive. Um, I mean, it is. It's abusive. Now, sure. the question is... Was the art worth the abuse? Is, is there a level of abuse that sure. is worth it? And I always would have argued, and I want to still argue, that yes, there is. That if you sign up to be involved in a project, mm-hmm. you are signing up to go on this journey with the director, or in the case of television, with the showrunner, yep. and as long as it doesn't cross a line to physical violence or sexual harassment, yeah. you have to accept it if you believe in the art. I mean, here's what I would say. That, I mean, listen, there's a bigger argument or, or discussion to be had. Or, mo- or emotional that. harassment. I mean, I, I don't want to say that there's but a I line do in think the sand. That, but that this specific film with this specific filmmaker... You're going in, I hate to even fucking even say this, but like eyes wide open. Like, you know full well I'm signing you up for Stanley. Like, I kind of did. <laughs> I, I actually really did. I was like, is there another way to fucking word this? Uh, that, that he is going to fuck with you. He's, you know the rumors. You know what you're in for. And, I mean, listen, we don't know the state of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's marriage we don't know whatever my guess is they're just like the fuck i'm not doing a stanley kubrick film i mean i'm going to do it because it's history it's i'm going to be etched in filmmaking history forever yeah, on they top deserve of the, all the credit in the world and they that. do and they were yeah. and, and and everything i've read about what they were ready for and game for is just i mean i have to read a quote from todd field who mm-hmm. i'm i don't know if you read this quote mm-hmm. as well because there's a lot of who played, bullshit. Who played Nick Knight? Who played Nick Knight and, and also directed uh, in, the, in bedroom. the Bedroom and Little Children and is a great filmmaker in his own right and screenwriter. Uh, so th- th- I think we need to talk about this a little bit just to give context in terms of what came before this movie even got on fucking screens, which is that this film suffered from having to deal with more bullshit probably than any movie should in terms of in terms of what people were expecting from no this movie. Let's talk about that. That's good I stuff. think it's really, really important. I think that one of the big things that should be said posthumously or after the film is that uh, Artie Ermey, who played uh, in Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the drill sergeant, made statements that he spoke to Kubrick two weeks before he died and that he hated the film and that Cruz and Kidman, quote-unquote, had their way with him. And all this stuff started to swirl around it. And Todd Field felt it was important to issue a statement And his statement said this, the polite thing would be to say no comment, but the truth is that, let's put it this way, you've never seen two actors more completely subservient and prostrate themselves at the feet of a director. Stanley was absolutely thrilled with the film, he was still working on the film when he died, and he probably died because he finally relaxed. It was one of the happiest weekends of his life, right before he died, after he had shown the first cut to Terry, Tom, and Nicole. He would have kept working on the film like he did on all his films, but I know that from the people around him personally, my partner who was an assistant for him for 30 years... Uh, and I thought about Arlie Ermey for In the Bedroom. And I talked to Stanley a lot about that film. And all I can say is Stanley was adamant that I should not work with him for all kinds of reasons that I won't get into because there's no reason to do that. But all this is a way of saying slanderous things are completely untrue about this film. I think that it's interesting, first of all, like because Kubrick's so reclusive, we don't know anything and we'll never know anything. But I think it's important. You're dead, too. <laughs> Maybe more importantly, <laughs> totally not dead. alive. The deadest. But I think that the mystery around this film really cannot be spoken about enough because it probably hurt the film, I think, in terms of the way that it was received by the world. I I don't know if you agree or not, but I think that... That's not why I think the the film 
had its work cut out for it. I, I mean, yes, I think we're saying the same thing. I think that it, it, it made, it gave an uphill climb for this movie that was probably unfair. I remember being in high school and over the, the ridiculously long amount of time that this film shot for, which still has the Guinness Book of Records, I believe, for the longest consecutive shoot. Yeah, a principal photography started on November of 1996, still holds the Guinness World Record for longest consistent movie shoot at 15 months, a period that included an unbroken shoot of 46 weeks. Uh, and Kubrick made Chris walk from the elevator to Lou Nathanson's apartment uh, in the movie over 100 times. I think what hurt the movie was the idea that we're going to see this tabloid relationship play out on screen. Yes. I think that made yes. – I, I think people were weirdly rooting against those two, um, especially Tom Cruise, mm. which I can't really figure out looking at his IMDb page. Because you know, it's the biggest what, movie star in the world at this point. Well, kind of. He was three years removed from making a movie, but you know what his last movie was, or from having a movie released? Mission Impossible. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Yeah, yeah. So this guy just made his best movie with his best performance that was fucking beloved by everyone who saw. Well, it. he did Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire in the same year. Mm, yes. Mission, Impos- Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire came out the same year. That's right. So ninety six. So, he's riding high. He's riding high. I mean, those are two incredible. I mean, that's a, those are two movie star performances totally. in two giant movies. And what he did in Mission Impossible, as little as I like that movie, actually is kind of amazing. Um, yeah. And Jerry Maguire is an amazing movie. So this guy is. He's, he's the biggest star in the world in 1996. He immediately goes and works with Kubrick. More fucking power to him. The movie right. doesn't come out for three, three years. Years. Yeah, he it's drops not, off the face of the earth. It's not that like, you can forget point. Tom Cruise, but the pl- only place Tom Cruise lived for three years was in Star Magazine and National Choir. Totally. Um, his marriage to Nicole Kidman is a huge yeah. tabloid story, and I think people weirdly were rooting against him at this point, which is why <laughs> yes. his other performance this year where he basically lampooned that character in Magnolia, was so well-received. You think he lampooned Dr. Bill? I don't think he lampooned Dr. Bill. Lampoon's not the right word, and that's actually not the right train of thought. What he did was play a character totally different from the Tom Cruise character. Yes. And he kind of lampooned the idea of of a Tom Cruise role. He took the the idea of a Tom Cruise role, an alpha-alpha male, to its logical extreme. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then deconstructed it. It's like you know we're going to do gonna our have, top tens oh at the end yeah, of this yeah, yeah. at the end of this episode. But spoiler alert: we both like Magnolia a lot. Can I also say too? What I think is also interesting is that Magnolia. That I mean, Frank T.J. Mackey is such a big role, and by that I mean big in size. It is a a larger than life performance after spending three years playing basically a fucking lifeless puppet yeah. mannequin walking around it's a soundstage in London that sort of looks like New York. It's it's just very interesting and, and not a coincidence is the point I'm trying to make. I think he was looking for something to really sink his teeth into, and I still think he should have won the Oscar for Magnolia, but that's... You, over Michael Caine? You, you must be kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, over Michael Caine. <laughs> Accurate. Over my, and Michael Clark Duncan from the, uh, the and two... And Haley Joel Osment? Well, well easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your love for Sixth Sense so those are the, baffles me. That, that, this it's it's just, fine. It really is just a taste of what an what an incredible year this was. What yep. a wild, incredible, weird, Absolutely. awesome year it was with yeah, yeah. all these... All these Nominated movies and performances. Just to rewind just a little bit. You know, Stanley Kubrick dies a little over three months before the film's release. 
less than five days after this was screened for Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, which is crazy, and it's also incredibly romantic. I mean, I, I, I know. It is. It's really it is. romantic. The guy doesn't make a movie for 13 years. He doesn't have a movie released for 13 yeah. years, and he dies four and a half days after he, sh- he shows yeah. them his final cut. Yeah. Um, it's also a really good way to get out of talking about the movie. What do you think Stanley Kubrick was doing for most of that time? Time of what? What do you mean? The time between Full Metal Jacket and... Uh, I mean, and listen, we could, we could spend... We could do an entire podcast just on Stanley Kubrick's unmade developmental movies that he put together. I mean, he, you know, he kicked around doing you the know. Aryan Papers. He thought about doing that. But then when Spielberg did Schindler's List, he decided he didn't want to do a film about World War II and about the Holocaust. He talked about doing a lot of movies. Uh, you know, this just happened to be... You know, this was... We should also talk a little bit uh, just in terms of the fact that Stanley Kubrick got the rights to this book shortly after Lolita. Um, he bought the rights to it in uh, in the late '60s and kicked it around for the better part of 25 years. The book is called the book is called Trom Novel, otherwise known as Dream Story, written by Arthur Schnitzler, who yeah. Freud thought was his doppelganger. Which is so weird. <laughs> There's and adds to this movie's yeah. like mythos, which I just fucking love. Well, it's like this, uh, yeah. So. It's Drum Novel, right? Is that what Drum Novel, yeah. It was considered kind of a minor work. Yeah, no, it's not a book that anyone really gave a shit about when it came out or in the 25 years he's been developing. But also, the, my understanding is, Eyeswitch is very faithful to this novel. It is. With the exception of one interesting detail. Significant detail. The characters were Jewish in the novel. Were, and these characters are not Jewish. They're not Jewish. I think the, the, the rationale for why they're not Jewish... Is very good. Is a very smart as two Jews. I think it's very smart um, to to have these two characters who can walk into any room yeah. and be welcomed. And I'm not Absolutely. saying we can't because we live in Hollywood. We do okay, but <laughs> any room in any any room yeah. in any city, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman walk in, they don't get kicked out. And that's very yeah. helpful for this movie where they're going into a well, especially Tom Cruise, where he's going into a lot of rooms where someone of his station wouldn't necessarily be welcomed. Until he walks into a room where he is not welcome. Yes, that's true. What a movie. God, I love this movie. <laughs> it's a great fucking it is, movie. It's so good. I, I mean, I think it, you know, so to to tap into what you're talking about. Uh, so as we mentioned, he had the book rights for many years. Uh, and for a while, the characters were going to remain Jewish. And he talked about having Woody Allen as the lead in this movie, which I don't know what that movie is. I, I legitimately don't know what that film is. And then he talks a little bit about, uh, there was talk that he, Steve Martin was another person that he brought, which again comes back to, he's making a comedy here. Okay. Like he, I think he is making a comedy. I think that, that he is taking the piss out of all of this. I really believe that the film is, I mean, it ends on a joke. It ends on a joke. Oh, I don't know if that's a joke. I mean, I, I get that it's a laugh. I get that it's, it's a, a laugh, laugh line. Okay. I get I'm that not going to get into a fight with a comedy writer. About no, what's, well, but I'm just. I've been a comedy writer in years. I, I, uh, I get that it's a. I get that it's a laugh line, and I get that it's a button, and I and and and, and, and I understand that. But it's fucking important. Of course, it is. I'm not trying it's, to take away from the importance of it. But if you don't think that that's Stanley, I mean, you have people at an orgy, so it's slow a, dancing to strangers in the night. It's a. The it's a joke. Like there's so much in this movie that is just weirdly comedic. That again, I'm just I'm just speaking to the fact that it is the fact that he kicked around those two names at any point to me 
hangs a bit of a lantern on the fact that this guy was making a movie that a lot of people might have misunderstood. That, no, I, That's you, all I'm getting at. So, Which he I, actually clearly made a movie that most people misunderstood. Clearly. And you know what's interesting about it is obviously Eyes Wide Shut has grown in stature it has. over the last 18 years. Mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut was not particularly well received. It was probably no. the most poorly received Stanley Kubrick movie at the time. Um, I mean – It was. In terms of what – Yes. Contemporaneous critics. Contemporaneous critics. It did not do terribly at the box office. No, it did though. really well, but it had the biggest movie star in the world. Right. I'm just I'm just saying that it still is his highest grossing film. But in terms of just the general idea of this movie, for those who have not seen it, I think it's important that or we seen just seen it in a while. Or haven't seen it in a while. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman play uh, Bill and Alice Harford. Harford being a constriction of Harrison Ford, which I ironically love. I think is really funny. Yeah. Who uh, wasn't who, considered for the movie. It was just a Harrison Ford type. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, which I think is great. Uh, Bill and Alice Harford, uh, he's a doctor. She used to run an art gallery. She's now raising their kid. They go to this glitzy party that's being thrown by Sidney Pollack. Not to cut you off. Yes. <laughs> the other couple that was considered for this movie which, would have which one? changed fucking history. We're talking about Kim Basinger and, and, Alec, uh, and Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. If it were Kim Basinger and Alec Baldwin, who weren't that far off from Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman at the time. In terms of stardom, they were she, obviously a little bit lower, but yes. Just a little bit. Yeah. She won an Oscar two years before. That's right, she did. Yeah. Um, she was the, the top of the top she the top that she got was right around the time that yeah. this movie was being shot. Sure, sure. Uh I love Alec Baldwin. I love him in serious sure. roles. Um, I think he's like an incredibly underrated, at this point, so weird to say, but an incredibly underrated dramatic actor. Yeah. Now that he is one of America's great comedic actors. I don't think there's a world where Alec Baldwin puts up with Stanley Kubrick's bullshit for 400 days. No, and it's, <laughs> but it, I know what you're but saying. But it would have changed the world. It, I, I don't know how else to say world. it. Well, Alec Baldwin since 1999 yeah. has become such a different person and he's he's like, well, sure. He's like David Letterman. He's 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 a forever Ameri- He's a, he's a forever celebrity sure, at sure, this sure. point. Yeah. You know. So, but it is a fascinating what if? world to to imagine. Either way, they go to this party mm-hmm. that uh, that Sidney Pollack is throwing, um, and uh, basically they both get hit on. Um, Tom Cruise is hit on by two models. Uh, and Nicole is hit on by this like weird Eastern European, European potentially like I don't know count. I mean, I don't even really know how to explain this guy. He's but he's amazing. He's like the handsomest Bella Lugosi. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of is. He, and that's he, what it is. He's and like she's, a handsome, charming Bella Lugosi. <laughs> he just plucks her out of the crowd. He's it's probably amazing. Fifty something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, and, and he's and, like he's he's a good looking guy. Oh, I mean, he's very well put together. Today, he'd be considered great looking. Now that we've ex- now that we've extended oh the the yeah you sure. know, a world where like fifty something year old George Clooney is still one of the best looking men right, in the world. Right, right. But at the time, he's probably considered a little old. But so they get to this party. Yeah, they walk into this party, and the, and one of the first things that I that I that should be spoken about is how absolutely exquisitely shot this movie is. It is Mm -hmm. absolutely fucking gorgeous. Um, The, and I'm going to try to find the, I had a quote here. Oh, here it is. Uh, Larry Smith, who first served as a gaffer on both uh, Barry Lyndon and The Shining, was chosen by Kubrick to be the film's cinematographer. Barry Lyndon, the one Kubrick movie I've never seen. 
Do you like it? Yeah, it's a snooze. <laughs> um, but he, but he, grinded his, it then. he grinded his own lenses to make that uh, movie. I have 276 which, 1999 movies yeah, to watch. I will never watch any other movie. It's, it's a beautiful movie. And the reason that I bring that up is because Barry Lyndon was shot with natural light. So there is no... It's I candles it, yeah. and, and sunlight. And that's why he had to make his own lenses to expose enough light to the to the celluloid in order for there to be an exposure. Um, this plays into the fact that this film is only using available light sources. So it's only using lamps and Christmas tree lights and all of that stuff. Now there's a couple moments where he uses um, Chinese paper ball lamps, which he sort of like hung over mm-hmm. to get just enough light. But for the most part, that's why this film has this very sort of ethereal dreamlike quality mm-hmm. to it because it's lit in such a way. It also should be said that um, that they pushed the film. So you can sort of, what you're exposing the film to can, in order to get an exposure later when you're doing the processing, you can push it aperture levels, but what you're doing is you're accentuating the grain in the film. So that's why the movie looks so filmic. Like this it looks so like it's actually shot great. on film. What other podcast gives you this stuff? <laughs> So the film just looks like film. You're seeing yeah. it, and it's just absolutely beautiful to look at. So that's the, the the thing that still hits me to this day is how fucking beautifully made this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the blue lighting in the bedroom scene that's in the bathroom behind them, mm-hmm. which is just piercingly blue and almost ominous. In the, anyway, we'll talk about that as we get to it. But either way, they walk into this party. And uh, they immediately kind of go their separate ways. Uh, Nicole immediately grabs a glass of champagne and like chugs it in one beautiful Mm -hmm. uh uh, tracking shot and she's immediately playing she's immediately tipsy i guess is the point i'm trying to make i think that nicole kim's performance in the movies which is fucking incredible and it is it is a travesty that she didn't get nominated or win an academy award for this performance because it is immaculate she has to play drunk at one point she has to play high at another point Mm -hmm. and it never tips over into caricature or silliness yeah but it's still funny. It's still mysterious. It's still like she's doing so much in this movie. It just blows my fucking mind. I do think at the time, people appreciated that. I do think that before this movie, Nicole Kidman was kind of considered a lightweight. I agree. Um, to a certain extent, sure. So I think she was, and I think the hours would come out two years later. Not that the hours is the others comes out. I believe in '99 as well. It might be. I think it's 99. Because Wait, no, I'm wrong. It's 2001. 2000. It's it's the same year as Moulin Rouge. She does Moulin Rouge oh, and the others in the same year. Fucking greatest. Can we do yeah, 2001? We, we really love... Kenny and I both love Moulin Rouge. To a fault, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you keep listening. <laughs> yeah, please don't turn off the podcast. Um, so just... Yeah, she, she was kind of considered yeah. a light a, a lightweight i would say well she comes out of this movie and then maybe more importantly out of her marriage to tom cruise looking like a fucking rock star like she just ascends yeah. after that, that 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 was a big that was yeah. a really a big part of it so i think that that's I, I think so she's just amazing in it he and by he i mean tom cruise goes off because he recognizes his old buddy nick nightingale is uh playing piano at this party mm-hmm. he says hey let's go over and talk to him she's like i'll meet you at the bar and there's a way that the way he says, hey, do you want to go say hi to him? That almost feels like he is not a doctor. I'm a doctor. I made it. He didn't. There's a little bit of a twisting of the knife in the way that Tom Cruise delivers that line. Well, like, status is incredibly right? important. Like he wants to rub movie. his face in their status. A little bit. I, 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 would go, I would go a different direction with it. Okay. I don't think that Tom Cruise or 
or Dr. Bill, Bill Harford in this movie. I don't think that – Bill. Why well, I love it, Dollar Bill. Um, I don't <laughs> think that it was so much that he wanted to rub it in his face. Yeah. But I do think yeah. that his station in life, his status – Absolutely. He, he was imbued with the sense of confidence when talking to someone of a lower status. Sure. Um, and you see it in his interaction with Ignite and Gelly. He's very Tom Cruise. He's in that. so Tom Cruise in he that hits scene. Hits him in the stomach, and they like the way that they like the way they yeah. shake hands is like so broy. Very confident in that scene, knowing that he is quote unquote better than Nick. That in a way that he is not when he's talking to Sidney Pollack, for instance. Yes, sure. It's so so. He talks to Nick Nightingale. It's a very brief encounter. Uh, they have a great line where he's like, "Always a doctor, always a doctor." Well, in my case, never, never a doctor, doctor, never a doctor. doctor. Yeah. It's fucking great. <laughs> it's great. And and they have this sort of great. It's very brief, and you w- you actually want more from the two of them, yeah, I which did. I think is really yeah. cool. So that later on, when he does see Nick at the Sonata Cafe, you're excited for them to have another encounter, which of course is also brief because he gets fucking called by the Illuminati to go anyway. So, but, to, to, but two Todd great Field, scenes. Todd Field is and he's great, great in this movie. He's great in it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, understated and such a killer goatee. Killer goatee. I, I assume we're going to see a lot of great goatees in these yeah, movies. He's in, but he's the, this is the first yeah. of many great goatees. And he wears a tux pretty well, twice. I love it feels the white like tux. The white tux is yeah. great. It's So they're at this party, uh, and uh, Nick is taken away, whatever, and Tom Cruise is then sort of gets two models talking to him. I don't, mm-hmm. We don't see them actually come up to him. We just see them walking. And again, the beauty of these slow sort of like tracking shots of these two models pulling him in opposite directions. It's very dreamlike. Uh, and the, the best, one of my favorite lines is, don't you want to go where the rainbow ends? Like yeah. it's, and they're definitely trying to, trying to fuck him. I'm assuming. I mean, I don't know if, if they've been pointed in Tom's direction by Ziegler or what, but there certainly seems to be something a little bit weird about the way these two girls are looking at each other. It, there's very, there's a charge between the two of them that leads me to believe that this is not a coincidence that they're talking to this man. Maybe I'm reading into it, but I don't know. If, I don't. I, I hadn't thought about that. Um, there, there is a theory about the rainbow. Yes, there is a theory about the rainbow. Yes, and almost every scene in this movie yeah. is lit with rainbow. Either makes either has overt references references to rainbows, yeah. or is lit with rainbow colored Christmas lights. You you never see the white Christmas lights. It's Very always rainbow colored. Yeah. There is one scene or one extended sequence that does not have those lights. Yes. The orgy, right? The orgy is oh, lit yeah. with like candle. Can't wait hours. to talk about the, the so, orgy. <laughs> so there is there is the the idea that yeah. where the rainbow ends is the orgy. Well, there's that. But it's also the name of the costume store. It's also the name of the costume that he store. gets his cloak and his mask from. So you can't help but feel like there's something going on there too. And it, and it must be stated, <laughs> Rainbow. I mean, the Rainbow Coalition. The Rainbow Coalition at the yes, time was a real sure, thing. Sure, sure. And yeah. you know, ra- yeah. No, there's uh, definitely that. There, there's definitely something to be said about whether or not there's a commentary about that too. I tend to believe in my from my perspective that it's really just more about fantasy that it's more about like what's at the end of the rainbow and what's the thing that you can't attain it feels again maybe i'm just being too Mm -hmm. uh um didactic about it but there's a part of me that feels like that might be it either way i doubt that it's the one thing that's not sexual in one way or the other (laughs) in 
in this movie. But I mean, that but, that's fair. That's but, fair. You know, that's that's one of the great things about this movie is is there's symbols all over the movie that can go many different ways. Yes. Um, yes. Well, that's what's, I mean, I think that that's what brings me back to this movie constantly, which is that every time I watch it, I see something new. I find something I didn't see before. Um, I just, I, so that really brings me back. Uh, that being said, Nicole talks to this count, this count, uh, sure. continues to get more drunk. This guy basically just wants to like fuck her right then and there. Oh, he's just telling her, he's just like, aren't you only married because yeah. it makes it more exciting to cheat? Right. Yeah. And like, have you seen their amazing art collection and let me take you upstairs yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And she keeps, she's delivering lines in a way that I know because I remember it at the time people kept complaining about. And I love the fact that for a large portion of this movie, she says things very slowly. Mm-hmm. When he says, you know, do you want to go upstairs and check out the art collection? She says, maybe not just I now. loved that. To, to like that it. shit. I'm just like, you feel like you're in a dream where, where people are talking very languidly. I just love all of that. They also never say, they never waste a line. Nope. They never waste a line. But you want to go see the art collection? Sure. Okay. Maybe. Uh, w- yeah. The way I would write it, some horrible yeah, one yeah. word response. Sure. 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 Um, maybe not right now is so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Every, every line is every a little journey. Like it's and wonderful. She, I mean, I, and, and we'll get to this, but the first line in the bedroom scene where she's like, those two girls at the party yeah. last night, like it's just so fucking perfectly done. Um, anyway, uh, so, uh, where were we? So we're at the party. She turns the guy down and we cut to the infamous, Chris Isaac, baby did a bad, bad thing, which is dope, which is dope <laughs> yeah, in the just... mirror. And we have this amazing sort of sequence where, uh, it's, it was longer in the trailer. If I remember correctly, well, the trailer was the seat was this, the red band trailer was this sequence, right? And it was baby did a bad, bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit longer though. I remember the trailer was like 90 seconds and we really only get like 30 seconds. Very quick. But and it was a big fucking deal. It was the poster art. It was everything. Yeah. And I remember everyone's like, oh, shit. We're going to get to see Tom and Nicole have lots of sex. And that was basically the only scene that we had of that. That was the only like sexual encounter they had. Nicole gets topless. She does. Which she would do again and again and again. And yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's the only pop music on the entire score. Mm-hmm. It works so well. And it was on Nicole's. Playlist. Yeah. I believe she was listening to it. When she was. Game. She was the one who suggested it. Yeah, it just it works really well. It works really well. Uh, so then the next day we see we see sort of a montage of like Bill being a doctor and blah blah blah. Yeah, they come home and and, and Nicole being a mom and, and Nicole being a mom and like brushing her daughter's hair and like doing stuff like that. Uh, and uh, we then have the infamous bedroom scene where Nicole rolls a joint. From pot, she gets inside a Band-Aid container. Mm-hmm. Where we all keep our pot. Or, yeah, right. Uh, and they proceed to get high. And what's great about this scene is, I mean, there's a million things that are great about this scene, but it starts, clearly Tom Cruise thinks, we're going to get a little high, and then we get to have sex, and then I'm going to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And they're just talking, and he's like, who is that guy you were talking to at the party? And she's like, just some, you know, whatever. And he's like, well, what was his deal? And he's like, well, he just wanted to have sex with me. And he's like, he just wanted to fuck my wife, huh? And she's like, yeah, right then and there. And he says, well, I guess that's understandable. 
and thus the movie is set into motion yeah. with one line that is just seems harmless to him. I think I and would have she said goes, the same fucking thing. And she goes, wait a second. And it's... I do. I think I would have said the same fucking thing. <laughs> um, and, that, and, and I think that's... And, and, I, and I get why it's a stupid thing to say. Well, and, in context of the fact that she asked... I'm sorry. We need to rewind a little bit where she says to him, those two girls, did you happen to fuck them? And he's like, no, mm-hmm. of course not. And then... He says to her, I guess it's understandable that this guy wants to fuck me. And she's like, well, wait a second. How come you didn't want to fuck these two models, but that guy wants to fuck me? And the whole thing goes. Because, yeah, because women it don't all have desires. Goes very sideways. Well, for that, that, that's his point. Women don't have desires. But, yeah, right. And, and, which right. Is, and again, which is the point of this movie. Women just don't work like that, he women, says. He, he does. And she a, just, a, a few men a only doctor. know. Doctor. A doctor says that. And again, that's like, that, this, is, this is part of why I think we want to do this podcast because. Yep. There are things we'll, – we're going to find things in every one of these movies that in the last 18 years we've moved on from. Mm-hmm. And I think people understand I, – I think the average person understands that that's just not true. Yeah. But in 1999, an enlightened person could say something like that and then have his ass handed, handed to, to him, him. By his wife. By his wife. Appropriately so – but she goes a little fucking far. She goes a little far. Let's talk about that scene, which I think should have won Nicole Kidman an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. I think it's or at arguably least got her nominated, or at least got her nom. I think it's arguably the best scene of 1999. I, I mean, we, we're going to go through a lot of them, and I'm sure we're. I think that's actually a really cool list for us to do at some point. Our I think top we, ten favorite scenes. We're going to keep. We're going to start keeping it now. We're going to do nominees. Uh, you know, we're going to do that too, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. we do right, and then whatever yeah, else. Yeah, 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 and and, and yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, it it is just a masterwork of direction, and and I, I there's like little things in it that I love so much. It's not even little, but like when she's laughing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When he says um, something about I know you that well or whatever, and she starts to laugh and the camera gets handheld and it shakes with her body yeah. as she's laughing. You're just like, fucking hell. Like, it's just great shit like that that I just love. Um, so uh, also, I think it should be said that Cruz is doing some full-on Jack Nicholson delivery of lines in this scene. A little bit. He is going there at times yeah. where it's like, you know, 
because you're my wife. Like the way he says it is so like Nicholson. It's absurd. That didn't, all right. So that's it. Yeah. I, I, I see that now. That felt like the death throes of a really desperate man. He did not know what to say. I thought he delivered it brilliantly. I, I really. He knows he's in over his head at this yeah, point. He's, yeah, he's 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 outgunned, and it's kind of that again. I can I. It's not. It's not that I can relate to it as much as I can picture myself in a similar situation and feeling like, yeah. oh, what I thought I knew about. Our relationship, or what I thought I knew about the dynamic between men and women in a relationship, yeah, I'm wrong, and <laughs> I've really misjudged I'm this wrong. interaction. And now, now what's yeah. going to happen to me? I think he, I think at a certain point, because at, at a certain point he's like, "This pot's making you really aggressive," and yeah. she's like, "No, you're making me fucking aggressive. Yeah. It's not the pot; it's you." And he's like, "Okay, now we got the fucking laughing fit." Like he thinks he can just ride this out on the pot thing and get the fuck out of this scene. Yeah. And then she gives this absolutely devastating monologue about a fantasy she had about fucking a sailor, uh, <laughs> sailor, which in itself is sort of absurd. Yeah. Uh, a sailor that she saw when they went on some vacation together as a family, who I really thought was Aaron Eckhart, but it is. It not. looked a lot like I Aaron did, Eckhart. I think. Yeah, that guy. You thought that? Yeah, you'd think that guy would have got work, but he, he didn't. Would've, he would have been great, Aaron Eckhart, in the you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy who plays the actual guy. Apparently, he was a model. But so um, either way, yeah. she delivers this devastating monologue where she basically says to him, as we sort of prefaced earlier, uh, I was ready to throw away my whole fucking life with you for one night with this guy. Yeah. And she does it gleefully. Like, don't you get the impression that she is enjoying destroying this? I man? do. I do. I, I agree with you. <laughs> in, in, and in, a, in a, the best way. I don't mean it in like, I don't even know that she's malicious necessarily as she wants to set him straight on potentially the entire gender of women <laughs> that's how it felt that that that's how it felt um in terms of their their relate why well, in terms of their relationship we've talked about that a lot but but the yes. old, kind of the overwhelming feeling i had aside from you know what i what i've already mentioned is their marriage their real life marriage tom yeah. and nicole's marriage is fucking Absolutely. doomed even if you are pretending in this moment, yeah. and there is an interesting point about how you know when they're in this movie she's American and when they're not in this movie she's Australian. But even yeah. if you're pretending, yeah. like the way she delivers that line, yeah. that came at least it felt like it came from, <laughs> from experience. her, yeah. it came from real life, yeah, yeah. and um, and it probably destroyed. He's and he hers. looks devastated. He, he looks it. like someone who has just been absolutely gutted. It's great. It's great shit. Um, so we have this scene. It's punctuated at the end with a phone call uh, where he has to go to uh, the house of a patient of his who has died. Uh, and he says a great line, I have to show my face, <laughs> which just really feels like there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, so he goes to this patient's uh, house and has what I believe one of the first funny scenes in this movie. Uh, gothically humorous, mm. but humorous nonetheless, where he is talking to this patient's daughter. She is played by Marie Richardson, who's great. Uh, and they have a really weird sort of curt scene where he says how much, how proud of her, <laughs> her father was. Yeah. And then she throws herself at him and says that she's been in love with him this entire time. He's like, I don't think we've ever said 
20 words to each other. She kisses him. Mm-hmm. She like looks like she's going to devour his yeah. face basically. Yeah, it's like species. It's it is a yeah. little bit like species. Not a 99 movie though. So, no. Well, so, is it? No. I believe it's 98. Earlier. It's yeah. a little earlier. Or 95. And uh what's funny in the scene is she's moving away with her husband, Carl. And she starts crying and says, I don't, I don't want to leave with Carl. I don't want to leave with him. I love you. And he's like, I, I don't know what you want me to say. Well, it's I, interesting. I, I all of a sudden he's fucking hilarious. All of a sudden he's a sailor, right? Yes. So yes. he's her sailor. Yes. Um, it is funny. <laughs> it would, it, it, it's, I didn't think it was funny in the moment, but it's funny <laughs> in a, uh, oh, in a very Lynchian way. I, if that was, right? in a, if that was in a David Lynch movie. Uh, things would have been it's like, what? things would have been modulated just a little oh, bit. It's the best um, down, but it didn't feel that way to me. Or or or, or a Terry Gilliam movie too. Sure, there would have been some absurd, some something a little more absurd. But it never moment, tips into full absurdity, right? Yes, it, it, yes. It, it felt real, and it felt really sad. Which to is me. part of what this movie is walking this fine line, as you said earlier, of like reality versus dream, and that he doesn't want you to think it's a dream. Per se, he doesn't want to go full tilt, absurd, surreal. So he's always walking this line, which is why I think the humor of it is also hard to discern because you don't know where you stand a lot of the time in this movie. Well, and then that's why I think upon repeat viewing, yeah, it gets funnier and funnier, no. like a Fargo, which you know, yes. the first time I saw that movie, I didn't think it was funny at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's the funniest movie ever made. I think it's hilarious. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I gotta watch this movie more, I guess. But yeah. let's keep going. Yeah, let's keep going. Let's, let's keep rolling. We're gonna keep moving. Uh, yeah. He encounters some frat boys in the street. Whatever. He meets a prostitute named Domino, played by Vanessa Shaw. Yeah. Uh, which you find out later. Um, and it should be said just to give you a sense of Vanessa Shaw signed up for two weeks to be in this one scene, and it took two months yep. to shoot this one scene in one location. In one location where two people say twenty lines of dialogue. So just anyway, so um, like one camera setup, it's so it's insane. I can't believe it took two months. It's crazy. So he's talking with her. uh, Nicole Kidman calls him and says, "When you come in home, he's like, I don't know, it might be a late night. I'm gonna go on some weird journey and try to find my my fucking I don't know my dick or something. I don't know my balls." Uh, And so as he's walking down the street, sees a Sonata Cafe where Nick Nightingale is mentioned to him earlier that he's playing. He goes in, he sees Nick. Um, and they have a conversation, uh, and Nick tells him that he's got another gig later at a random location, which he doesn't actually know, where he's going to play, I guess, monks chanting backwards for a bunch of Illuminati people while they fucking mask, essentially. He doesn't say that to him, but we will later learn that that's what he's about to do. But he does... He does Allude. insinuate yes, something. Yes, yes, he yes. insinuates that you're gonna that, that I've seen some shit you wouldn't believe. I literally have the line, yeah. yeah what, what I've seen line? I've seen one or two things in my life, but I've never seen anything like this and never such women. Right. And of course, that piques Tom Cruise's interest and he's like, I gotta I gotta I gotta go. Uh, it should also be said that there are basically no inserts in this movie. There are no shots of close ups of inserts of basically except, very little except Fidelio, Fidelio. on the bar napkin that he writes and it is a beautiful insert it's just beautifully composed beautifully lit um it's a very interesting choice as well because fidelio means fidelity in latin it does it's also uh, a beethoven's uh, uh beethoven opera uh i love that nick is scared when he picks up the phone 
Mm-hmm. He immediately seems on edge. Mm-hmm. Um, so costume stores we mentioned is called Rainbow Fashions. Nick Nightingale says, yeah, this is the location. The password is Fidelio, but you'll never get in unless you have a mask and a cloak. So Tom Cruise heads to this Rainbow's Fashions where he uh, gets a, a mask and a, and a cloak. You know how to pronounce this guy's name? No, but I'm sure you do. No, I have no idea. <laughs> None. Okay. Well, that was fun. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I think the rental store scene, again, fucking funny. Like, funny. So it the, is the most, oh, the most obvious and overtly funny scene in this movie Still couldn't find the humor in it in the moment because it is about pedophilia. It is about child. It is about. It is about okay, child yeah. prostitution. See, now you're making me look it bad. Is, no, no, I'm not because I can find humor in all this stuff. All right, right to set the scene up. Yes. Uh, Tom Cruise is downstairs looking Mr. for Mr. Milich. Milich, I think is Milich. Milich. Um, Tom Cruise is downstairs with Mr. Milich. Yeah, yeah. He is a uh, a Eastern European actor who uh, you've seen before, and yeah. he's awesome in this. He's in The Saint, I believe. That's what I remember I hate him from. That movie. That's not a good movie. Um, one of the first movies I can remember vividly hating. So, sure, um, sure. but this guy's dope in this movie. Yeah. And, and his uh, daughter. He, he takes him downstairs, and his uh, in a, in, a, in his office, he mm-hmm. sees some Chinese takeout containers. Does. Which he opens Suspect. up to find two Asian men in their underwear with his daughter Lily Sobieski. Yeah, and wearing like white caked on makeup and like costumes. They look like weird clowns. Or yeah, something. yeah, they're they're, really, they're, I think they're weird. cosplaying Barry Lyndon. But um, <laughs> possibly, I've only seen the I've yeah, only seen the trailer. Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, it's Lily Sobieski who I think Lili has Sobieski. one line, and she's in. A she doesn't actually. Has, she has a line later. She like whispers something to Tom Cruise later. Yeah, well, yeah. she whispers in his ear. The line, I don't have it off the top of my head, but something she's telling him about like to get a specific type of cloak. It's almost better that we don't know what she says. Like It's so much cooler with her just whispering in his ear and then raising her eyebrows as she walked away. So uh, Mr. Miliich gets angry at that point and locks the yeah. guys in his office, which is funny. Um, and I think he says he's going to call the police on him. He does. He locks them in and says, I'm calling the police. Call the police on him and then acts as if nothing happened. It's, yeah, it's weird. So, you know, rents him the, the cloak and mask. Cloak and a mask. $200 over the asking price and for the rental. Know. And then he sends him on it. Oh, he gets in a cab, right? He gets in a cab. He goes to this location. Um, he tells the cab driver to wait for him. Glen Cove, that's in Long Island. Okay. Not that that matters, but I'm from But West you're from the, from the East I'm Coast. from the area, so you're I know, area. You know, I know sure. how cheesy that area is. But. Okay. So, uh, and he goes to this, uh, to this very large house. Yeah. And he says the password. And he goes inside. And we are now welcomed to uh, the orgy portion of this podcast and uh, and movie, which, if I'm being completely honest, is the part that probably could have been trimmed for me the most. It, it's weird. I'm, I'm not saying that. Kenny wanted more. Well, I we've we've gone this entire podcast without basically saying that. The, the the words eyes wide shut in our culture are synonymous with a with fancy that orgy. orgy sequence. Yeah. No, with a fancy orgy. It's a fancy, fancy masked orgy. orgy. That's yeah. what that's what eyes wide shut means. If I said to you I went yes. to an eyes wide shut party, yes, yes, you, yes, you yes, would yes. know that I went to a fancy orgy. People were wearing masks. On yes. There was an orgy. <laughs> we were a fancy masked <laughs> orgy. Um I was surprised to see it only last twenty minutes. I thought this was in my yeah. head I thought this was about an hour of the movie. <laughs> About an hour of its two hour and uh, uh-huh. four, two hour forty two hours and forty eight minutes two hours forty eight minute running <clears> time. Like I that. thought it was it's twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, um, and it essentially comes down to Tom Cruise sneaks in 
in the mask. Yeah. Walks around. See some people sees fucking. Some fucking. Oh, we we didn't mention the. We need to talk about this. Actually, I think that, or I thought that the orgy scene was surprisingly short. It's only twenty minutes. Uh, um, and I mean, when I remember this movie, uh-huh. or when I th- think of this film, think of this film. Yeah. Um, I thought it was upwards of an hour of orgy in the middle of this movie. <laughs> Um, because that's what the movie is. It's yeah. the eyes wide shut orgy. So uh, I'm not I'm not trying to say that I thought it could have been or it should have been, should longer, have been longer. But it, it, it obviously left your, a bigger impression. Well, I think I think to your point, when you say eyes wide shut to people, they say, "Oh yeah, yeah, orgy movie." Like that that's yes. that, that is the 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 one to one that people think of. When yes, you say if eyes I said shut. I was going to an eyes wide shut party, that's, yeah, it would be like, "Oh, people in rich people in masks are fucking a, like, ma- that's, that's a masked what, yeah. a masked fancy orgy." Yeah. yeah. Um I think it should also be stated here. Um now there are a bunch of different theories about this or whatever. Warner Brothers inserted CG people into this sequence before the film was released in order to get an, uh, an R rating from the MPAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it was in Kubrick's contract that if he did not give them a film that met the R rating, that they could alter it in some way or another in order to do so. He was apparently aware of this. I don't know if I believe that or not. That mm-hmm. sounds a little bit like spin from Warner Brothers, but what do I know? It's really distracting and really fucking stupid. Uh, and, and it makes no sense because our POV is Dr. Bill's POV. And yet he's standing behind people that are blocking his view yeah. of the, it's, it's just fucking lunacy. The version I saw did not have these CGI yeah. people. Yes. So I did not have the problem. I got okay. to see the people 69ing on the dining room table, <laughs> um, and fucking on the credenza. <laughs> and I, th- I got I got the whole thing. I got the whole thing. So I got I got what Kubrick intended. Sure. So he wanted me to see people in masks sixty nining. You know that didn't make sense to me. But that they were wearing masks in sixty nine. What exactly are you doing? It's there? a little bit counterintuitive. Like, kind of like weird mask kissing going on. Oh, lots of that. That's There's like, lots of that's like, how you people like doing this. Someone to go and like what, it's weird. We're gonna mask yeah, yeah. kiss, but yeah. So he's at this do? orgy. Um, it should. We need to state here real quick something that we forgot to mention earlier on. Um, at the party, at Ziegler's party, at the very beginning of the film, Tom Cruise is called away to uh, Ziegler's bathroom where there is a, a young woman that is naked and has overdosed mm-hmm. on something. We don't know, speedballing, something like that. It was a speedball. They said it was a speedball. Yeah. Uh, and Tom Cruise is able to talk her through it um and get her out of it and whatever and Ziegler's very happy that he doesn't have to because Ziegler was clearly fucking this woman um and he's like how much longer do I have to have her up here before I can get rid of her whatever this woman resurfaces at the orgy or so we're led to believe yeah Correct? we don't know I, I we don't know who it is yeah because what happens at the orgy? She's wearing a mask. So we she's wearing know. a mask, and she pulls a, a woman. Yes, a, 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 one of these model esque women. Indeed. Pulls uh, Tom Cruise aside. Basically says, "You got to get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. They, they you don't belong here. They you know. Don't belong they, here. Yeah, yeah. they know. They'll they'll kill you." Which comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is that Tom Cruise, for all intents and purposes up until this point, would have been welcomed in any room mm-hmm. that he's walked into, and now he's he is he is out of his, you know, out of his league. And it's weird, the idea, I, depth. There, is, there is something to this idea that the people that we think of huh. as occupying the highest strata yeah. of our society yeah. are actually not, uh, 
And I don't want to get into <laughs> I really don't want to get no, into the Illuminati stuff because um whatever. I mean for obvious reasons, you know. <laughs> but um but there but there is uh there uh, have you ever seen have you ever seen the, the pictures online of the Rothschilds party? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, vaguely. Someone I should look really that up know. because yeah. there are these pictures of a party from the 70s that the Rothschilds threw okay. that is kind of the only known that the only documented um party like this. Okay. And it's wild. It's people, you know, sure. in like wolf masks like you know who are who are all millionaires at the time. But the idea is there are the the idea is there there are people pulling the strings yeah. in this yeah. country and in yeah. every country that even yes. the you know the the best looking and the most successful among us are not allowed in those rooms. Yep. And I think that is necessarily true. Um right. it's necessarily true right. that there are these these meetings that we will we will never know about and probably should never know about. But Yeah, I mean it's 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 you know, it, it's titillating, I guess, on a certain level to sort of be to get past the velvet rope of a party like this, and mm-hmm. and sort of or Kubrick's version of a party like this. Uh, and it is for Tom Cruise's character. It is for Doctor Bill, um, but he doesn't leave, and he should leave, and he doesn't. He he overstays his welcome, if you will, uh, and he is called into the the main room where he is he is humiliated again. Yeah, uh, they force him to take off his mask. They want him to take off all of his clothes. Uh, you, it, it certainly seems very uh, intense. I don't necessarily know what would have transpired because we are stopped by this young lady who sort of sacrifices herself in some form or another. I will redeem him. Yeah. I will redeem him. She sacrifices herself for this man uh, and he's able to leave because of it. Um, we don't know her fate. Uh, Tom Cruise goes home and Nicole Kidman proceeds to deliver her second fucking brutal monologue where she regales him with a nightmare a a fantasy that sort of turns into a nightmare if you will uh where she is in an orgy situation Mm -hmm. um and she's having sex with all these people she literally says i'm fucking all these people and it's just it's killing him um and she's crying and it's it's he looks so drawn to the lighting makes him look like a broken man. She's crying and holding him in this blue light that has now enveloped their whole bedroom. But he starts crying, right? No, later. later Okay. Um, and he doesn't really know how to process all of this and she doesn't know how to process it. Um, so the next day he goes to the hotel, um, that Nick was staying at Mm -hmm. and he has, a scene with Alan Cumming that is fucking hilarious as well. Yeah, I didn't think it was that funny. Um, <laughs> what's funny about it is how overtly Alan Cumming is hitting on Tom Cruise in this scene, and Tom Cruise is completely oblivious to it. Um, yeah. At one point, they cut to a wide master, and Alan Cumming is basically climbing over the fucking desk. Mm. It's it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was funny. Apparently, whatever, it's fine. I thought it was funny. Uh, Anyway, Alan Cumming tells him that Nick Nightingale had checked out and that he had a bruise on his face and that he looked scared. All of this sort of sets Tom's teeth on edge a little bit, like what happened, what's going on. It should also be said at this point that Dr. Bill is constantly showing people his medical license like it's a fucking badge and he's a cop. He's like, I'm a doctor. No one cares. The only time (laughs) I've ever seen that in a movie 
It's the best. It's so funny. I agree with you. That's one of the that that, that is the funniest part of the movie it's that ridiculous. he shows this medical license like he's a cop like to get into cop. every room, right? And it works. And I get sort why. Of. And I, yeah. Well, it works done. enough. Yeah, and I get why it works. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a doctor fucking telling a cop uh, yeah. a doctor he can't come in the room. Yeah, especially it's, the rooms he's trying to get into. He's exactly. specifically trying to get into rooms generally where uh, where being a doctor would matter. Right. Like, so now he goes to. Uh, now he goes to Domino's. He goes back oh, to the prostitute. Yeah. And there's a really weird scene here with her roommate who It's a very it's a weird scene, scene yeah. because the, he's hitting on her. Totally. And she he like starts feeling her up in the middle of this scene. He like unbuttons her shirt and he puts his hands. I'm just like, what's happening in this scene? It's and not the best says, scene in the movie. It's not the it best. It really scene in the movie. is. It's a weird scene. It, well, it, it, it serves one purpose, which is for him to find out that Domino unfortunately has AIDS. Yeah, which you know, which, which is kind of the. Well, there are several things that happen on this back end, this this kind of second part yeah. of the movie that that. Certainly, you know, kind of makes you think this whole movie serves as a cautionary tale against this kind of behavior. Yes, um, but. Bill's behavior in this scene is weird. It's out of context. I'm sorry, it's out of character. It is out of character. Um, it's a little more Tom Cruisey though. Well, and by that I mean like he's confident in this scene in a yeah, way that he's it reminds me a little bit of when he starts when Jerry Maguire starts feeling up uh feeling up <laughs> Dorothy Zellweger? Boyd, you yeah. know, prematurely. Yeah. When he, when, when Clarence he's Thomas. Dr- yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're my boss. Now I feel like Clarence no, Thomas. Feels, do not feel like Clarence Thomas. God, I love that movie. It's a great movie. doing that one? Oh, it's 97. 96. 96. My apologies. Anyway, it's a weird scene. Uh, it ends with, with Domino's roommate saying Domino has AIDS, which I think was more about, again, sort of how close he came to crossing thresholds throughout this evening that could have shattered his entire life, mm-hmm. I think is what that is there for. I didn't re- I mean, anyway. Then he goes to the morgue. Uh, he goes to a coffee shop first. He sees that, that, uh, that somebody died. Um, this, this, this. Yeah, um, it was in the news, a former beauty. For, right. Goes to the morgue. Uh, sees her. It's the same woman from the party and conceivably the same woman from the orgy. Uh, and he he has a very interesting sort of I don't know what the I don't know if encounter is the right word for it, but he certainly gets um, up close and up personal. close and personal. He kisses her, or comes close to kissing her. So he doesn't Please. kiss her for sure. I didn't think that's really what it was. Okay. Um, Interesting. Not, not to say that I know what it was, but <laughs> yes. but it was a dead person, right? I think, and person. I think he was really just kind of examining this dead person. Okay. But other, the, I mean, you know, we, there's something there's definitely. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's there's something bordering on romantic in this scene, and I say that in the sense that he's looking at this woman in a way that I found interesting uh i don't i don't i i think he thinks this woman saved his life well that's what i was going to say at you this know what moment, i mean he might yeah. think this woman saved his life i think he thinks that and gave her life for, for him. him yes um yes i definitely think that that's what we're supposed to take away from the scene um so this happens mm-hmm. as he's leaving the morgue he gets a phone call Asking him to come to Ziegler's house. On his not phony pager. On his not phony pager. Yes. Uh, 
on his cell phone, I believe. Um, and he uh, goes to Sidney Pollock's house mm-hmm. and they have a 13 and a half minute scene in that billiards room, mm-hmm. uh, which they filmed uh, over 200 times. Stop it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I take that, take from that what you will. Um, it is also interesting. I was reading online and again, you know, Easter eggs, what have you. Uh, the blocking of this scene directly, someone did a video comparison on YouTube and it directly echoes the red cloaks gestures in the orgy scene. So there's people that believe that Ziegler was actually the red cloak guy. That's the, so interesting. The, the, the big head honcho at the orgy. Uh, whether or not that's true or not, we'll obviously probably never know because um, Sidney Pollack is unfortunately also not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great scene between Ziegler and, and Tom uh, or Dr. Bill. I agree with you. It's a great scene. Yeah. I think it, I think it is or was fashionable to bash this scene. Yep. Um, yeah. And I was nervous about the scene because I remember not liking this scene. Interesting. Um, the previous times I saw this, I remember thinking, mm-hmm. stop spoon feeding me this movie. Right. I no longer think that... Because that, <laughs> I don't think they're spoon-feeding us much in that scene. I just don't know. I, I, I don't... I don't disbelieve him, but I also don't think it really matters. I think having sure. some kind of baseline out there that may be true, may yeah. be false, or may be partially right, right. true, is kind of interesting. And I, and I really remember wanting to hear it when I watched mm-hmm. it. I was looking yeah. forward to the scene, yeah. and I think it plays really well. Yeah. Um, it's, a really, it's a really valuable scene. It's valuable to Bill. Well, it <laughs> Do you know is. what I mean? Like, I, I think that I believe, like you believe, that Kubrick doesn't give a fuck about any of these plot mechanics in really any way, totally. shape, or form. And that's the, that's the, which is yes. why it's great. It's the reason for being, exactly. Right. Whereas Bill does. I think that Bill needs something to hold on to. In a weird way, this scene is for basically just Bill. Or for, I guess, an audience member that is that cares about this shit. No, Bill, yeah, well... They, so what's cool about this is it's almost as if yeah. Kubrick presaged all of what would happen in the future. But, but yeah. Bill, Tom Cruise's character, Bill is the nerd on Reddit trying to figure out <laughs> what happened in True Detective when it's right, not, right, really right. About it's not really that. about that. It's not really about that, That's and, really funny. Yeah, yeah, but that's what it is, right? It, it, it became, you know, if, if it weren't for this scene, yeah. you may have – a large percentage of the people who watch this movie mm-hmm. thinking this movie is about figuring out what really happened in yeah. the orgy scene. Yeah. And people still do. Sure. But I don't care. Right? And yeah. I, don't, I don't think most people care at this point because no. it's not. It's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. But it helps that it, it yeah. helps that there was a there was a button put on yeah. that part of the story so yeah. we can actually talk about the things that matter about have, this yeah, have yeah. interested it have, have, have intrigued us and have, so we found interesting the the long and short of this scene is that basically ziegler says like she died of an overdose because was she was bro. it was a coincidence and she was a junkie and that's what happened and uh all this stuff you've been jerking yourself off to for the past 48 hours is all nonsense and you know life goes on until it doesn't but you know that and that's basically how the scene ends he goes home he sees the mask mm-hmm. on his 
bed on his pillow which in he his, thought he lost which he thought he lost go back to rainbow yes. which right you know we're kind of yada yada right. yadding over a little bit of that but it yeah. turns out that milich actually decided to pimp out get his in daughter. bed yeah pimp out his so he sees the mask on his uh on his pillow in his marriage bed in next to his wife and he fucking collapses in tears mm-hmm. and says i'll tell you everything i'll tell you everything uh and we cut to a very haggard-looking Nicole Kidman in the next morning, yeah. just looking like she's had, you know, just been crying for for days, smoking a cigarette, just looking brutal. Uh, he looks like a he's and he, his body positioning. He looks like a scolded child sitting in this uh, in the couch neck across from her. Yeah. Can't even make eye contact. Uh, and then they go to F.A. Schwartz to buy their daughter Christmas gifts. And the movie ends with these two having what now is a very portentous scene mm-hmm. of of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Uh, the the line that still jumps out at me is when he's like "forever," and she says, "Let's not say forever; it frightens me." Oh yeah, it's just like yeah, this marriage is not meant to be, uh, which obviously feels very ominous now. I want to talk about their marriage more. We can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. When we're done, we're almost done. Uh, and basically, the last line is her saying, "You know, we're awake now." And we will be, and he says forever, and she says, I don't want, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and she says, but there's still one very important thing that we have to do as soon as possible. And he says, what? And she says, fuck. That's the end of the movie. That's and it's it. fucking Scratch great. the black. Yeah. <laughs> they must have thought they had an incredibly strong marriage. <laughs> or they didn't, and they just couldn't, they couldn't turn down this they had to opportunity. Have. They had to have. They, 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 the, the thing that they were willing to do together in this movie goes so far beyond, yeah. you know, Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan getting lost in, you know, the jungle together when Russell Russell Crowe saves them. Or, or <laughs> I don't think Dennis Quaid is in that movie. Yeah, but he is. He's the guy. No, he's not. It's Russell Crowe. What did they do together? She fucked Russell Crowe while making that movie. That's a great point. It was definitely not Dennis Quaid. <laughs> what is a good example of that? It goes so <laughs> Goes so far beyond yeah. Ben Stiller. Well, let's and- also just say that Hollywood marriages are probably the most susceptible marriages. Like they're not always built on the strongest foundations to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the idea Proof of, of life—that is the movie. He wasn't in it. He wasn't. The Russell Crowe is in it. No, she I know, fucked no, no, no. Russell Crowe no, while making that movie. Um, but Dennis Quaid is not the man that that she's trying. That he's trying the, to the, the life that they're trying to the, prove. The life they're trying to prove. <laughs> David Morse. <laughs> I mean, anyway. Uh, I, I hear you and I agree with you. I don't – I mean, listen. We could spend an entire podcast trying to figure out what was going on in the marriage of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman because there's a whole host of things that could have been weird about it or great about it. But here's what I will say. They were consummate fucking actors and I think they were so excited – about being in a Stanley Kubrick movie, which I guarantee you they probably didn't even read the script before they signed up for it. And they were just like, sure. That's one way that's one way it could have happened. <laughs> that's my guess. The other way it could have happened I could be wrong. is they were like, we are one unit. We are, you know, we are we are we are two hearts in one. Okay. And and uh, we are so strong together right. that we should go on this journey together. This bond is unbreakable. Yeah, this bond is unbreakable. I really right. believe that that's the way they went into it. It certainly uh, and I think Cruz is crazy enough to think that. 
Well, even the quotes that Tom Cruise was like, yeah, me and Nick, me and Nick are, talk about like, you know, 30 years 70. from now we're going to be 70 and sitting on a porch and talking. I'm like, you're not going to be together on a porch at 70. <laughs> and it's not so sad to me anymore, you know, kind of knowing what became of him and his marriages and sure. his couch jumping and all that stuff. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my feelings on that marriage. <laughs> that was a very forced cup. And that's all I have to say and about that. That's all that. I have to say about that. <laughs> Um, what, uh, so let's talk, let's talk about our favorite films of 1999. This is a good way, I think, for God willing, the people that have stuck around this long and actually listened to the end of this podcast, uh, to get a sense of the great movies that came out in 99. Um, and also to get a sense of maybe too good a sense of Kenny and I as people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have 14 movies on my list, um, I have 13 movies okay. on my list. So we're going to work from the bottom up. 13 on my top 10 list, and you have 14 on your top 10 list. That yeah. should give you a f- the first hint of the kind of people me and Phil are. We're not good with numbers. math. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you... Yeah. You should go first. Okay. So number 14 on my list is Bringing Out the Dead. Okay. Um, a great movie. I think mm-hmm. a, a, a underrated movie that I think... Another dark comedy. I, I would say think. it's... Just off the top of my head, <laughs> yes. Martin Scorsese's last good movie or last great movie. Wow. Um, just off the top of my head. Uh, He's definitely made movies since that I still very much like. Um, Shutter Island. Oh, Hugo. I, don't, I don't love that movie. I don't love that movie. No, I think I think this is this. I think this is the last Martin Scorsese movie that I I really think is a great. I movie. will say this though: I am legitimately bummed that we can't do The Departed. We will. <laughs> We will. We we we, we okay. will. We will. The, I mean, Kenny's palpable I, I disdain will, I, for the for the. I don't want to get is, into it right now. I don't want no, to no, do no, it right I, now. Okay. We will absolutely do Departed um, okay. at some point. We will have okay. to. Okay. It's, it's just. It's, it's just. It was. It actually was in a lot of ways the beginning of our friendship. It was the Departed and Mad Men were yeah. the beginning of our friendship. But that's neither here. Okay, bring out the dead. You do thirteen. Go for it. Um, yes, for all of you yelling, what about the Departed? No, not a good movie. 13 for me. Good movie. Better than The Departed <laughs> is Go by, <laughs> by Doug Live and written by John August. Uh, it will be the subject of a future podcast. Yeah, probably number three, maybe? On our yeah, list. we're going to do it very soon. Very soon. Um, it is very 1999. It does not age that well. It is at, very 99. At the time, very important movie to me. And uh, I would be remiss. Kenny just was rolling through I was rolling. I mean, I was, you know, I was a rave kid. But um, it would be remiss not to include it. It would be disingenuous. So it. go ahead. Okay, uh, 13, The Insider. Yeah, it's for a great me. movie. It's a fucking great movie. Uh, it should be probably higher on my list, which is, again, a testament to how great 99 was. It's the um, second best movie. Well, actually, for me, it's the third best movie nominated for Best Picture that year. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it would be the best movie nominated for for Best Picture most years. Yeah. Um, Do it. It's not on my list. Go 13. 12 for me is, 12, is sorry. Man on the Moon. Um, right, which right, I right. love. I love his first three movies, Milos Forman, very much. Like, his like first three movies. It's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Amadeus, and um, Man on the Moon might be his fourth. People versus Larry Flint, I and then Man People on the Moon versus Larry Flint. Uh, his first Wait, four movies. He also made Valmont, but whatever. Oh, I never forget that. Those four <laughs> movies, I think, are uh, great incredibly fucking movies. Incredibly important yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, nothing like them, yeah. and uh, I, agree I don't generally love biopics, but I think this movie it's is so fantastic. It, it might be my favorite traditional biopic mm. ever. 
Okay. Um, I don't consider Nixon a traditional bi- biopic. That's my favorite biopic-ish movie, but it's an argument more than this is what this man's life was about. So moving forward. Uh, 12 for me is Galaxy Quest. Great movie. Which is just a truly hilarious movie um, that holds up so fucking well. It gets watched, better. It gets better. Yeah. Um, what do you got at 11? 11. Uh, my last silly movie on this. Um, <laughs> Cruel Intentions, just oh, outside the top so 10. I fucking love this movie. Can't wait to do it on the podcast. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Uh, 11 for me is American Beauty. Mm, American Beauty. No comment. American Beauty uh, is a... Um, oh, it's a dramatic thing now uh, because of the allegations that have come out against Kevin Spacey. So it's charged this movie in a way that is probably unfortunate. Um, but it is a... It arguably might be the most 1999 movie um in a lot of ways it is and we will absolutely unpack it at a later date it won best picture that year yeah um it's a really interesting movie with or without the kevin spacey allegations yep um baked into it what do you got now we're on to our top 10 we are into 10 what's your number 10 for me is Notting hill which I think is one of the best romantic comedies ever made. Maybe, maybe the best. Uh, when Harry Met Sally. When Harry's, I, honestly, that's what I was going to say. When Harry Met Sally is probably the best, and I also love Say Anything. I love Annie Hall too. But um, but yeah, that's a whole. Is, I wouldn't even call that. You know, but uh, <laughs> but Notting Hill, as far as a studio romantic comedy, it's fantastic. It's fucking flawless. It's fantastic. Um, it's so insanely rewatchable too. Also, but you know, it, that, that's just another kind of nod towards the the breadth the breadth of this year yeah yeah where absolutely. a movie like notting hill just so happened to come out this year yep um no i think we're gonna you very, know oh and and also a movie that sucked was runaway bride which is kind of an interesting well i think we're gonna do a i think we're gonna do a double bill on that one i think that'd be a, a julia roberts double bill of notting hill and uh and well, runaway bride could be an interesting could, yeah so um <laughs> uh okay number 10 for me is toy story 2 a movie you're well acquainted with, I think, or not well acquainted with. Uh, I feel like your kids either don't watch Toy Story or do watch Toy Story. Toy Story 1 is one of my favorite movies of all time. Toy Story 3, I like more than Toy Story 1. Toy Story 2, I've seen once. So I'm very excited to, to yeah, I'm come excited back for you to, to it. to rechange your ordering of, um, of the Toy Story movies. But yes, that's my number 10. Great movie. What's my number, number nine, nine is an animated movie, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're gonna, we might actually – we talked about watching that together, actually. I think we should probably do that. I think that could be a fun one. We will definitely together. watch that together. Okay. Uh, number nine for me is Three Kings, a great movie. I haven't seen it in 18 years. It's a, it's a phenomenal film. Um, David O. Russell, uh, a, a tumultuous production, uh, but a fantastic movie. And a movie that actually might be – it easily is one of the best Iraq movies for sure. Movies about Iraq. So. Uh, just, uh, just what I love about this year is just another David O. Russell movie. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, our, you, I might be my, it's actually my favorite David Russell movie I think well I, I find him very hit or miss to be honest um, yeah but uh, anyway we'll say yeah. um, number eight a movie that I kind of expect to move up uh, when we do this at the end mm. Fight Club yeah it's um, higher on mine yeah it's a great this movie this is just, just such a fucking great year that, that yeah. a movie like Fight Club is number eight which is yeah. crazy but even just looking at this list now it seems too low yeah um, I got election at number eight for me. Um, 
I think it's potentially higher on your list. It's higher on my list. Uh, it's a great movie, mm-hmm. and um, I look, I'm looking really forward to the Criterion coming out in a couple weeks and rewatching that one. Seven for me is uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Number seven. Yeah, and also might wind up a little higher. We, I did this before I rewatched this movie. Yeah. Um, it might be higher. I, I, I'm looking at the movies above it. I could see some of these dropping, but it's higher for me. Virtually every movie. Every movie above it, I have a strong emotional connection to. That uh, yeah, it, it, it would be, it would have been hard to not put it in my put these in my top six. So. Um, the next film I have a, a, a very strong emotional connection to, which is Sleepy Hollow. Um, for those, yeah, financial connection, <laughs> financial, emotional, <Yeah>. professional. <laughs> uh, for those who uh, don't know, I co-created uh, the show Sleepy Hollow on Fox, so we'll we'll do a full unpacking of of this movie and the inspiration that it was to me and all of that that will be so weird. weird it's gonna be a real weird episode yeah buckle up yeah it's gonna be weird um number six for me is six. office space oh, such it's a just fucking movie. office space it's just great yeah i can and watch the scene with him beating up the printer in the field it's so good the rap music in that was so brilliant it's perfect um yeah. and that's that's just kind of an interesting thing about about my list and about this year and whatever uh how do you rank Office Space versus Eyes Wide Shut? Yes. Well, I've seen Office Space 300 times. Yeah. I know every line. Um, and I think it's like one of the funniest and, and kind of most important comedies too. Yeah. Um, and I can't fucking knock it. Yeah. So yeah. here it is. Uh, six for me was Township Mr. Ripley. Uh, a shrug from Kenny. It's on not. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean that in I a bad way. I think you might really like it. I yeah, I don't mean that in a bad like way. I just um, – I, just, just, yeah. just, just in in the context of this year, it's, it's, it's. I get it. Forgettable. I, I, I think. That, I think. I. I'm just. I, I do quite like Anthony Minghella. Uh, it's my favorite of his films. Um, I don't know. I just. I, I like it. It works for me. I'm looking forward to it. I very much like those actors, and I'm very yeah. much looking forward to them. I think you're going to together. Um, Five. The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, the, he says. He says surprise. No, I'm, I'm just the Matrix. Uh, I, it's just. These movies are so goddamn good. They're so good, it's stupid. So, I mean, and now we're getting to sort of. There's going to be there's overlap now. I mean, five. I got Fight Club. Yeah. Um. You know, I got The Matrix at four, and I have Six Sense at four, which I think is our biggest, the, the biggest gulf between us. Yeah. I, I think it's a masterpiece. I will forever think it's a masterpiece. I do, I don't actually think that's true, but I don't think you will forever think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a masterpiece, but I <laughs> it should it should be it should be stated. Yes. I have a I hold I hold movies that actually trick me and actually actually get me with a surprise uh-huh. ending in very high regard. Well, because you're you're so smart, right? Like, well, movies can't it's to trick you is yeah. is it's a, it's a tall it's that's a tall right. order. That's right. It's a high bar. No, it's well, hey, mm-hmm. pretty smart. But uh, <laughs> but um, I no, I, I do. Yeah. I, I I as a writer, no, I get hide, I, as I a get. writer being able to successfully hide the ball. Sure. In a way that's satisfying um, to the viewer at the end of the experience yeah. is as impressive a feat as anything. And The Sixth Sense, Shawshank Redemption, and Usual Suspects, those three movies in particular, did it so well sure. that they will always be held in high regard. Now, granted, I, this is, they're, they're not the I top. think, that, I mean, I, I, in, I have The Matrix at four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I think The Sixth Sense is a good movie. I actually rewatched it relatively recently. I think it's a very well-made film. I think it's a great – I really do. Um, I have maybe the opposite reaction. Like once the twist is gone, 
the movie holds very little for me at that point because I think that a movie, lot of people feel that way because that movie in particular doesn't really have a lot to say like say what you will fight club has a twist at the end and you go like whoa that's crazy fight club has got so much going on in it i hate fight club's twist I think I think that's the worst part of the movie, and I love the movie. No, I do. I don't even okay. think. No, no, I don't even I think. Mean, about we'll, we'll unpack all of this in our Fight Club episode. But I'm speaking to just why Sixth Sense doesn't speak so well to me because once the twist is gone, I feel like, and this speaks to Shyamalan's oeuvre since mm-hmm. then, which is that it's a little bit of look at the birdie. Yeah, well, that's that's true. I understand that, and there's there's very little daylight between the basically these top eight movies for me. No, no. But um, what do you got at three? At three, I have an election. It's great. The best. That's great. It's I got eyes wide shut there. And two and one. Two and one are the, are the same for both of us. Uh, we both have Magnolia at two. And we both have being John Malkovich at one. It's true. And coincidentally, in 1999, Roger Ebert had those movies at one and two in that same That's order. True. That's true. Um, we didn't know that until after we did it. We didn't know that we had the same one and we two until after that. we did it out of the 277 movies. And uh, I guess for me... <laughs> Magnolia's the best three-hour movie ever made. Magnolia Agreed. is the most emotional movie experience uh, I ever have had. It's the best. Um, I can't I love wait for a about that episode movie. of Magnolia. No, I do. I love every, I love every, <laughs> I love every minute of that movie. Yeah. And B.N.J. Malkovich is the most yeah. influential movie on my life. I couldn't agree so, more. B.N.J. Malkovich and yeah. Fargo are the most influential movies on my life. Yeah. Um, the movie I most want to emulate at some point in your life just write something that that, 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 that is even within comes, striking distance comes close to that kind yeah, of movie i'm the same and no one has done it in the last 18 years no one has written it's just no one has has written or, or made or produced a movie yeah. that's 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 that kind of movie and i i i'm i'm honestly afraid to do that one out of all of the movies that, that, that are coming up i'm afraid to do that one justice and you know the other ones i'm afraid of i'm afraid of julian donkey boy for obvious <laughs> reasons um, I'm afraid of Dogma 95. Just there was another general. one you were afraid of too. What was the third? Wild one? Wild West, Ugh. which will be next week's episode of podcast. Like it's 1999. Uh, yeah, Kenny really wants to do Wild Wild West next. Well, I want to face wiki, wiki, Wild. Wild. I want to. I want to face my fears. <laughs> yeah, and there's something about giant. Mm. Giant. Wait, have you not seen Wild Wild West? I've never seen the movie. Oh Jesus! Okay. I've never. You're in for. Why would I watch that movie? Except if we were going to do a podcast about it, but. I think that's the, the reason I want to do Wild Wild West so badly is one, I'm afraid of it. I'm truly afraid of, of this, this disgusting meshing of, of <laughs> genres. Like these, these I mean, it's giant, no more disgusting than Cowboys and Aliens. Also a movie that like makes my skin crawl. <laughs> I mean, not a great movie, but... But just th- these, these, this thing that they did with this movie kind of makes my skin crawl. Oh, you, so, you don't even know what you're in for. I know, I'm scared. That's what I mean. I'm scared of this movie. But Kenneth on top Rana of that... With a mechanical wheelchair. On top of that, it's kind it's of a bad. moment... This movie seems like it's a moment where uh, blockbusters lost the plot, and one well, they definitely got over their skis on that one for sure. Right, and one <laughs> of the wonderful things about this year too yeah. is you're not going to see what well, we are going to do movies that were intended to be big blockbusters, but outside of Star Star Wars: The Phantom Menace, it didn't really work out for most of them. So you have a lot of wonderful epic I'm failures. Yeah, the mummy is it's probably a bit of a surprise hit, though. I think. I think mummy. it was. Yeah. It, it didn't really have a big star, and yeah, no, I don't think that's really um, coming. No, I would agree with you. It feels like the only fully calculated, successful swing in the realm of what you're talking about is probably Star Wars, which was so bulletproof. I mean, in the realm of what we're talking about, yeah. right? So, like, you in the beginning of the year, if you 
gave any executive Wild Wild West or The Matrix, they're all taking Wild Wild West. Absolutely. And that's why I'm excited to do this movie, to see what got people excited in 1999. The people who worked in this town. I think you know full well what got people excited. Well, I guess it's Will Smith. But yeah, Will Smith. Will Smith, but also Will Smith in the West with Mechanical. Not the West, Kenny. The steampunk West. The steampunk Wild Wild West. Yeah. Um, you got, you, I, you I, honestly, I can't fucking wait. I'm going to watch this on the largest screen I can find. <laughs> And I can't. I, I'm so excited to come back. I next saw it in the week. theater. Mm. I was kind, so fucking bored. Kind of a black mark on you, but uh, I saw <laughs> I saw basically all these movies in the theater. I was in film school. No, I get it. I would have seen it. <laughs> I guess it, it really. I think I saw it with one of my best friends, Jan, who who uh, did the uh, the logo for our podcast, and he was doing the theme song, and he is doing the theme song, the TBD theme song. Yeah, it, it'll show up at some point. You're but, gonna love it. Um, but we'll we'll be back next week. Uh, we will be back next week. Wild Wild West. Um, <laughs> I'm Kenny Nybart at Nybart on Twitter. I have 116 followers. <laughs> um, I am P M Iskov, P M I S C O V E. Uh, on Twitter, he has like seven thousand. I have like seven thousand followers because which he sounds co- because he co-created Sleepy Hollow. Did you go? Did you get two eighty early? Did I get what two eighty early? Oh, I don't have two eighty early. Fucking Trump just got two eighty. E- no, everyone got two eighty today. Did they? Yeah, today's a big day. Oh, I didn't know that. That's how you know what day we did the podcast on the day that everyone got two eighty. I love that uh, John Favreau, the the speechwriter, said the worst thing to come out of today is that Trump has two hundred eighty characters. John, the, the relevant John Favreau. Yeah. Whoa. That, okay. I didn't well. mean that. We're doing. <laughs> I don't. Know. I mean, we're doing Fever is fine. Oh, I was going to say we're doing swingers. We're not doing swingers. Not, Did he do a movie in '99? No. I think Made was 2000. That movie's not sure. that bad. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So we will be back with Wild Wild West next week. I uh, am PMS Gove on Twitter at Nybart. At Nybart. I'm on uh, Instagram. Kenny is too, but he has kids, I'm so blocked. he's you're blocking not, you. You're not going to see his kids. More importantly, he does not want you seeing his kids, I think, is the most well, important thing. Uh, I'm on Instagram at the same thing, PM Iskov. Um, and yeah, Wow West next week. It's going to be fucking great. Get Can't ready. wait to do this. Yeah. We're going to podcast like it's 99 for the next five years. Yep. Get ready. Come, come along with us. Okay. Later. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.